Hello, everyone. Welcome to Collisions YYC Current and Critical. I'm your host, Tyler Chisholm. Thank you for joining me today for another good old-fashioned chat. Today's show is brought to you in partnership with SAIT Corporate Training. A huge thank you to Craig Hass and his team for their ongoing support of the Collisions YYC podcast. 40% of people globally are considering leaving their employer before the end of the year, according to a 2021 survey conducted by Microsoft. Whether you're a senior leader, a manager, or an individual contributor, hearing that stat for the first time, it's going to get your attention. For me, aside from freaking me out a little bit, the first question I had to ask myself is why? Well, let's be honest. It's been 18 months of the pandemic, and many of us are left unfulfilled and looking for change. This may be tied to lack of perceived advancement in your careers over the past year, or by organizations being in survival mode versus growth mode, or simply being, quote-unquote, locked in our houses for the last 18 months. We're looking for something different, and we're look, more importantly, we're looking for change. No matter what the reason, I think we're about to turn the corner to what is going to be the greatest economic opportunity of the past century. Are we ready? Since its founding in our province over 100 years ago, SAE has been at the leading edge of what our citizens and companies need to be competitive locally and on the global stage. To find out more what they can do for you as an individual or as an organization, check them out at sate.ca slash corporate training. Or better yet, open up your email and contact Craig Hess directly, craig.hess, H-E-S-S, at sate.ca. He'd love to chat with you, walk you through your needs, and more importantly, how they can help. Hello and a warm collisions. YYC, welcome to Mr. Douglas Vermeeran. How are you, Douglas? I'm doing super awesome. Thanks for having me, Tyler. Oh, super awesome. What a great, that's, that's an excellent answer to that question. So super again, Cal- I don't even remember. Awesome. Calgary is super <laughs> fantastic, wonderful. Uh, Calgary <laughs> conspires again. Somebody who knew somebody who knew you, who knew me. I think it was Ellen. Was it Ellen Parker over Parker PR? Yeah, I think, I think so. It was Ellen. Yeah. So thank you, Ellen. We'll shout out for Ellen and the work she does over there with her team. You, uh, again, eclectic, uh, the Tony Robbins of Canada. Again, when you go down the rabbit hole, you, you find some really interesting stuff on the, on the good old, on the good old interweb. But you're doing some really cool stuff now around entrepreneurship, what's really kind of brought us together on the phone call today. So I will not even claim to do it justice. I will turn it over to you, sir, to let us know what, what are you up to these days, and we'll kind of get into it, and let's have a good old-fashioned chat. Sure. Well, I guess, uh, you know, to give the overall bird's-eye view here, long and short, I've been working with entrepreneurs for a long, long time. Sort of my background, I'm a Calgary boy, born and raised here. My parents, though, however, were stuck in the poverty pattern, very little entrepreneur bones there. And so um, when I got kind of into my late teens and early 20s, I started interviewing some of the entrepreneurs I could get in touch with. Obviously, I started local. Then I started branching out to people around the world. I got some of the biggest entrepreneurs that there were. And kind of that led me to what we're doing now, which is, uh, as you know, with the pandemic, everybody's had to switch, right? Everybody's had to reinvent themselves, pivot, and find a new way to make their income. And so, um, you know, the thing that I found is a lot of people started becoming entrepreneurs, but they just didn't have the support systems and the mechanisms and the strength to really become successful as an entrepreneur. So that led me to the idea, why don't I reach back out to the original top achievers that I interviewed? We're talking people like the founders of Nike, Reebok, uh, FedEx, uh, Ted Baker, Uber, Ugg Boots, uh, all, all kinds of big companies. And I basically said, would you guys like to get involved and become faculty members on a new program? I'd like to start teaching people how to coach entrepreneurs. And we've been very successful. So now we've got uh, the top-rated entrepreneur coaching program uh, on the planet. We've been rated by about four or five organizations. And, hey, here we are. This is what we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Okay, I'm going to cut right to it. You say top rated. How do you gauge a good coaching program? Because I'm going to be honest, there's yeah. a lot. You a can crap. throw a stone sometime and you can hit a coach. Maybe sometimes you and should. You, you should. Yeah, you should hit a coach. 
So yeah, oh, right beside them sometimes sure. are personal trainers, and there's other there's some industries where there tends to be waves and people flock to it, which can create well, a lot of – It's highly unregulated, yeah, right? Yeah. It's highly unregulated. Well, let, let me share with you what I think, first of all, uh, the problem with this idea of coaches is that the barrier to enter that space, like we just said, is so low. Anybody can – like, you know, you read a little book on, you know, Tony Robbins and tomorrow you're a coach, or you go watch a movie <laughs> like The Secret and you can call yourself a, a law of attraction coach or whatever – but the reality is that it doesn't really serve or do justice to the people that need your help, especially when it comes to business. So, for example, I think there's certain things that, quite frankly, you need to have a certification. For example, I'm not going to trust a nutritionist to coach me unless the guy actually knows nutrition, right? And the same thing for you know fitness or whatever else you want to do. So for business, I mean, we're dealing with somebody's livelihood here, right? So it's so important that, that we really kind of figure that a whole certification out. Now, let me tell you what I think the problem with most coaches are is they think it's just about giving advice, right? Or uh, maybe if we push that a little bit further, it's about making people accountable, right? Like here's some ideas, here's some advice, now you're being accountable. Well, that's really not the true role of a coach. Uh, a cr- true role of a coach, in my opinion, actually includes also support systems and structures to help people kind of get to the next level in whatever they're doing. So when we're coaching entrepreneurs, and maybe this is going to sound really nasty and mean to these traditional business coaches that are out there, first of all, traditional business coaching just doesn't work for an entrepreneur because the world has changed, right? This idea of you know business hours, a brick and mortar, of even the rules and regulations set up around traditional business doesn't work for an entrepreneur, right? Anybody uh, you know who's kind of been in this space knows that. But the other thing is, is that idea of support. Um, this is where we really come in and, and receive the top ratings is – we're not just about giving advice. We've actually got all the mechanisms in place to be able to support the entrepreneur. So like I said, my top achievers, you know, if you want to learn how to grow a company, well, I've got like the founder of Ugg Boots. I've got the co-founders of Ted Baker. I've got the co-founder of Kajabi. You guys back I've it got, up with a, with a network. And let's be honest, yeah, in life, got it's all network. about relationships and all about being able to make that phone call and go, hey, yeah. help me out in this situation. Clearly, you and you've probably, we've all been... You know, my buddy used to say, you want to hang out with people that have stepped on the landmines you're about to step on so they can give you that advice. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Well, they know where they are. But the other thing that's kind of interesting, it's not just the business advice. It's also the resources, too. So, for example, one of the things that we also assembled is right now in these difficult times, um, you know, you might need funding to start a business. Well, I've got a list of 175 different venture capital firms that are prepared to invest money in people's companies. Uh, they're categorized by niche. So, in other words, specific businesses you want to do in the different phases that your business are in and all kinds of stuff. And the problem with most traditional business coaches, they don't even know the difference between a pitch deck and a business plan. They don't know where one fits or how you're to qualify for these things. And so I think, you know, the, the challenge with coaching, I think, is that most people, they don't know enough about the questions they should ask to hire a good coach. So therefore, they think all coaches are created equal. And it's definitely not true, right? It's like if you're going to go to a surgeon, right? You don't want you don't want the hip surgeon to give you the brain surgery. It just will not work out, right? But arguably so, in that situation, I as the customer or the end receiver of that service don't really know what to ask the hip surgeon except how long have you been a hip surgeon and can you give me maybe enough. a few names of hips you've replaced? <laughs> you know, yeah, beyond, yeah. I beyond that, I, I'm not, I don't know how to ask those questions either. <laughs> well, I, I think that, that that's, that's a very fair point, and that's why I think people really need to do their due diligence before they hire any kind of a coach. And I think, again, um, one of the big first steps that's really your responsibility before you get a coach is to even like when it comes to business, you need to know what business you're in. So if you are a brick and mortar small business, I'll be honest with you, I'm not the guy to help you. 
right? Like I'm, I'm not like I, I know stuff about that, but that's not yeah, I'm not interested to do that. But if you're an entrepreneur who's looking now to competing in a relevant marketplace in an international area where you know your customers are going to be from places like Singapore and Calgary and you know the United States and the UK, well, these are the kind of business structures that we know how to build the systems around. We know how to help people get into these spaces. So how do we say uh, – it's funny. I had this guy approach me the other day. He was a business coach. And he says, oh, yeah, no, I can do everything you guys can do. I've been business coaching for 30 years. Well, if you continually upgrade yourself, that 30 years is valuable. But as I started talking to him about questions and things that he would teach his clients, that 30 years was the biggest anchor that that dude is ever going to have because he has no idea. <laughs> but when your perceived right? like, asset is not oh your value proposition. Gosh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh my gosh, I don't want 30-year-old advice for a business in today's economy. Do the math backwards. 30 years, that puts me in the early 1990s. Well, the internet wasn't even around then. <laughs> Nothing, right? that, nothing that's sitting on my desk even existed at that time. As yeah, it's probably idea, mine apparently. too, right? So it's it's, it's, it's totally brutal what some people just try to pass. My iPhone, my monitor, my everything now. That's interesting. Oh, man. And for, you know, obviously COVID has really sparked a huge wave of people. And you and I chatted before we even pushed the record button. A lot of people being, quote unquote, forced into entrepreneurship. So just, you know, thinking about it, you know, obviously this is going to have entrepreneurship as the title in the episode, bringing people in. You're either on the path, you're thinking about going on the path. With some of your conversations, and I'm sure you run into all kinds of individuals that you're like, okay, wow, this is a path for you. And like, who I don't know, but I appreciate your honor. I'm going to try to help you. Kind of thoughts around even breaking apart because the word entrepreneur, it can be pretty, it's pretty vague kind of at its base. Well, well yeah. And, and the other thing too is I think with people who come from a traditional business model or maybe corporate job or something, they've been trained that businesses kind of run a certain way. And so the way that they, the context which they come from often dictates how they approach building that business. And the reality is, is, even uh, uh, the management systems of a traditional business owner versus an entrepreneur are very different. So, for example, uh, a traditional business owner, we hire someone, we pay them a wage. If they don't do the job, we fire them, right? The way that we manage them, you know, we have uh, leadership and all kinds of levels that keep people going. But the reality is, is for entrepreneurs, they actually work with other entrepreneurs primarily. In other words, we hire other really people to do the yeah, skill. Really and, and, and the way that I kind of like to use it too, and this is why so many people become what do we call solopreneurs, not entrepreneurs, or small business owners, self-employed, working in their business rather than on it, is they, they don't understand that an entrepreneur is different. An entrepreneur is actually a conductor. If you think of like a symphony where we're playing music – um, the traditional business owner is the guy that tries to play all the instruments, right? If you're running, say, a Tim Hortons or a, a restaurant and somebody doesn't show up for a shift or, sh or you're understaffed, you're the guy who's there. Like you're taking the orders. Yep. You're waiting. Well, the that's tables. the classic you're the the business, is the business versus on the business, right? Yeah, exactly. But an entrepreneur, on the other hand, they can't be playing the instruments. They can't go be going from like the bassoon to the piano to the timpani to the whatever. They themselves actually need to learn how to be a conductor. So we're finding the best players. We're teaching them this is the song we're all trying to get to. But then you step into the conductor role. And I think if we look at all entrepreneurs, you know, we say, why did you get started? Many of them say, well, because they want more time freedom. They want more money freedom. Some of them want recognition because they're, you know, like me, maybe um, my family and stuff. I didn't do well in school. So there's a sense of validation that, hey, I've achieved something, right? Yeah. I'm not just I appreciate that. failing yeah, we're still, students. We're, all, we're right? all still humans underneath trying to, right? trying, to, trying to please somebody right. somewhere sometimes. That, that's right. <laughs> and, and then also I think there's the, the legacy aspect, right? We want to create something that changes the world and scales beyond us. And so I think for uh, most entrepreneurs, that's why they start, but then they get into this incorrect management structure, which never allows them to separate themselves from the business, yeah, right? So the they, gold, they put the themselves literally on that, yeah, they put themselves on that treadmill, and, and there they go. So it's just a totally different approach.
Right. And when you're first engaging with an entrepreneur, because there's a certain phase in a business when you are the solo, you are the, you know, chief, chief bread maker and, you know, chief cook and bottle washer. I think that's the old joke. Uh, I guess so for you, it's talking about putting in a planning it out, knowing that that is going to be potentially a start. You're the person with the idea. You're the person who's doing the thing, going to the going to the event or doing well, maybe that's in the old days, doing whatever you need to do to get this business off the ground. So what I'm hearing is putting in a really clear like this is stage two, this is stage three, and make sure you don't get caught well, well, in here, always being a, that doer. Yeah, I, I love that. Here's a couple of things too. Is you always hear people, they say, think big, right? Think big. And a lot of people do have these big dreams, but immediately they deflate them. Well, what is it that, that, that deflates them? It's this idea that if it's meant to be, it's up to me. We've all heard that, right? <laughs> but, but the reality yeah. is, is that as soon as we look at that big goal and we think it's up to me, well, all of a sudden we retreat from that. We try to minimize it so we can make it something we can handle. Now, here's something interesting. I might just share this as a story um, uh, that, that I think your listeners would find valuable. When I was 19, I started interviewing some of the world's top achievers. I literally started with those that I knew, you know, that take a millionaire to lunch, what everybody tells yeah, you to do. Yeah, no, you... And, and then I started asking, who else do you know that I should talk to? And I eventually got to everybody from Richard Branson to, you know, uh, the founders of FedEx to, you know, you name it, the biggest guys, the, the CEOs and founders from Nike, Reebok, the Vita Group, Christian Dior, Jordash, Gene, Jutano Sport for California. I could go on forever and ever. So I got a chance to, to literally meet with those guys knee to knee. Now, obviously, when you're hanging out with these multimillionaires and billionaires who made their money through starting business, it's not long till you get bit by the business bug, right? So you want to <laughs> it would start be almost business, impossible right? not to. I would it's say, impossible in those not settings. To. Yeah, of course. Yeah, and so I remember I was, you know, just this young man, and I want to start a business. And so I found this guy who was a multimillionaire. I said, "Can I take you to lunch and ask you about my business?" And then, thankfully, he said yes. And I'll never forget, I was sitting across from him and I started kind of like just rattling off frantically questions. How will I find my customers? How can I do my marketing? How can I get my demographics? How can I, like, I I wouldn't even give him a space to breathe. But finally, when I did, he just kind of sat there and gave me this kind of like disinterested look. And he said, I can tell you're going to start a really small company. And no entrepreneur wants to hear that. That's the kiss of death. Oh, I don't that is a, oh, that up, right? I appreciate so, how he just kind of just went oh, in and waited for the punch. Yeah. And he hit me hard in my throat. Right. <laughs> and so I was like, what do you mean? A small company. I'm never going to start a small company. This is going to be the biggest thing ever. And he just kind of, again, gave me that disinterest look. He goes, now nah, you're going to start a small company. I said, well, how can you say that? Then he said to me, well, it's because you're, you're asking selfish questions. I said, well, what do you mean by that? And he goes, the questions you're asking are, how can I? How will I? What can I do? Right? All these things. He said, instead of asking those kind of questions, he says, if you want to scale something and start it big, you need to shift. So instead of asking, for example, who or how can I find my customers, he said, you need to ask who. Who has my customers? Right? Or instead of how can I do my marketing, who can help me with my marketing? Then he pointed out something super valuable for me that I'd never really realized until then. He said that all success and all wealth are always built by a team. So if you look at, for example, like Sir Edmund Hillary, who first climbed Mount Everest, he didn't do it by himself. He got the blame, right? They recognized him, but he had a dude carrying his crap, and he had another guy navigating them up the hill, and they did all their thing. If you look at even the Academy Awards, right, you know, uh, so-and-so stands up, wins, and says, hey, I'd like to thank the world for this time little statue. Well, they don't read the credits in the movie that shows the guy didn't write the movie. There's somebody else running the camera, the makeup, the lighting, the costumes, the locations, blah, 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 blah. But he's up there with this little award. And so I think our world kind of has a bit of a deceptive way of showing us uh, how things are really achieved. And as soon as we start seeing that it's always by a team, it's not specifically up to you. You know, the, the key for an entrepreneur is how do you surround yourself with proper systems? And systems really only are two things. It's either going to be the people that you surround yourself with or automation technology. 
Those are your only two choices to build a system. So that's really your first question as an entrepreneur. How can I really build the correct systems that allow me to, again, back to that freedom, that time, that money, that all the things why I started this business, they can arrive to me because I'm actually always on a mission to replace myself with either a person or automation or technology, right? I love the paradigm that you talked about, and I, I hear you so loud and clear. And, the, and we're at an era now where technology can do that in a different way than it's ever been able to do it before, and that path is only continuing. But I'm curious, so we talked offline a little bit of obviously you've, you're, 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 you're globetrotting around the world with this thing and your relationships. That individualization and that leader as the hero or that leader as the Hollywood version of, I like how you use the, the, the Oscars, we're going to elevate this one individual, but behind the scenes, there's teams and layers and layers of people. Do you find any shift geographically when you look at North America of our, of our drive to kind of celebritize or make, you know, hero worship versus what you run into in different parts of the world? Do they look at the team structure? Like, is it different? Of course, I know my backyard and the kind of that North yeah. American. Steve Jobs is responsible for the whole thing. Well, we, you the peel that layer back really quick. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and but we celebrated. We put them on covers of magazines, and we look at that, and we aspire, and we forget what you said is the reality of how you got there was very rarely by yourself. Well, you you just won't. And you know what? I think our society yeah, right won't. now. Well, yeah. yeah, you just won't. You just can't. I mean, here, here's just something before I answer your question too was interesting. So I'm a gra- graduate of the Harvard uh, Business School's Entrepreneur Program, and they shared us an interesting stat there that talked a little bit about um, you know solopreneurs, small business owners. Uh, self-employed, which are all categories totally different than an entrepreneur. They're not a true entrepreneur. And they actually pointed out that the average small business owner, which is that category there, they can generally serve about five people successfully. But when they get to number six, everybody begins to crumble because you just don't have the bandwidth as a solopreneur to serve you know, uh, more than five people successfully. And, and so I think that, that that's a really important thing to learn about this idea about a team. Now, back to this idea about celebritizing entrepreneurs and, and putting them on the magazine covers. And I mean, that's half of the glitz and glam that is attracting people, I think, to this entrepreneur. That's part of the secret sauce right? that, that makes it's you think it's a good idea. <laughs> it's the sales pitch to, yeah, to be an entrepreneur. I appreciate that. And, and, and you know what? I appreciate it, too, because the reality is, is we all want to be recognized for the work that we do. We all want that fame and fortune. And Heaven knows on Instagram and YouTube, there's a bazillion videos that show, you know, every entrepreneur has got a Lambo and a Ferrari and all of these things. Because, yeah, everything on social media is 100% authentic, but for of sure. Of course it is. Yeah. I've, <laughs> but, I've, but to I've your point, it. it's continuously selling the, a certain image. You're absolutely right. It is. It is. And, and I think the thing that's kind of interesting about this, that if I look at kind of how real entrepreneurship is really built, what do we say back to that idea? If it's meant to be, it's up to me. Now, it's not, right? I would rather say that if it's meant to be, it starts with you. In fact, one of the entrepreneurs that I, I interviewed had a really cool like little sign for his desk. And honestly, I've been thinking about making one ever since I saw it. I just honestly, I've been too busy. This is my life, right? Um, but you know the saying that says the buck stops here. We've all heard that. The buck stops I, I, here. I, yeah. Well, he had this little <laughs> sign and it said on his desk, it said the buck starts here. And I thought that that was kind of an interesting thing too. And when I asked him about it, he goes, no, no, no. The buck doesn't start on my desk. He says it starts here. And then he pointed out something interesting. He said, you know, I basically ignite the fire, but everybody else starts throwing on the wood. And then he started pointing out this idea that if you're a cog in the wheel, you're a clog in the wheel, meaning that if you're going to scale your business to high levels, you need to be that guy who lights that fire, but then you need to get out of the way. And I love what kind of Steve Jobs said once. He said that, you know, my job is to hire smart people, not so they tell us what to do, but I hire smart people or not, not to tell them what to do, but so they can tell us what to do. Let me say that again just to make sure that it's clear because I got that 
said there's weird, so many there's so many good quotes yeah. out there that start to filter in when yeah, we, we're going to start playing the quote game i'm like okay what, right. what, have, what have i got in my arsenal of quotes that's it but anyways he says yeah we don't hire smart people and tell them what to do we hire smart people so they can tell us what to do and i think that that's a big problem that a lot of entrepreneurs have is they figure that they need to be the boss and they need to be the smartest one in the room and they need to be in charge and, and the reality is that i think the smartest thing an entrepreneur can do is be teachable they need to know where they want to go that's the clarity that they need that's their mission yep. But then as far as how that's going to happen to get there, I think we need to be, how should we say, humble enough to sometimes surrender that. Like the reality is, is if you want to be an entrepreneur and you, you're doing it to become rich, don't say no when other people want to make money for you, <laughs> right? Don't say no when other people are prepared to bring their skill set to make you rich. And I think that that's the big thing that, you know, people are kind of missing. There's a psychology principle behind it called investment bias, which means we feel we need to pay a certain price in order to qualify for the success. And there's been people who self-sabotage because they don't feel like they've worked hard enough. Well, the reality is, is if you've got other people who are carrying the load and doing the work, and as long as it's being done correctly and you're operating ethically and honestly, I mean, you deserve to get paid, right? Oh, so many, so many layers. I really love that. Like, let's really be truthful in what an entrepreneur is and isn't and be okay to say, hey, maybe, maybe entrepreneur is not the path for you. Maybe it is a small business owner. Maybe it is a solopreneur. It feels like we need to really we, – we need – if we embrace the different categories, it might help a lot of people not like spend the right time in the right areas or really understand what they're signing up for or, or not. I really like the way you separate it into like, no, no, this is a very different mindset. doesn't mean these other ones aren't valuable or needed in our society. They're just different. And, and I think you, you hit the nail on the head. It really comes down to a personality thing. You know, I've got lots of friends, quite frankly, they, they need that sense of control. They need that. If it's going to be done right, I've got to be the guy to oversee it or do it myself. And obviously that limits your ability to scale and grow, um, but that's where they feel comfortable and they're making an income stream that's, that's pleasing to them. They're happy with it. And mm -hmm. I have to confess, here's another thing. We always talk about, um, you know, measurement in our business, the metrics that are important to us. Right. And the one that we get shafted so often with is that if you're not the richest guy in the room, that your business is not the most successful. <laughs> and I, I don't think that that's correct either. In fact, uh, I've got lots of friends who some of the key metrics, like obviously we measure sales, we measure leads, we measure conversions, we measure all of the things, the KPIs that will help us understand where our business is going. But one of the things that often is missing is we don't measure that idea of happiness, validation, and so forth. I love what Stephen Covey said in the book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. He said that many people climb the ladder of success only to find that it's leaning against the wrong wall, right? <laughs> and, and when I went out to, to interview these 400 of the top achievers, well, we talk about the successful people I interviewed. I don't often talk about the unsuccessful people that I got to that, quite frankly, did not make it into that group of 400. And some of them were billionaires and some of them were multi-multi-millionaires. So the money right. wasn't the problem. The problem was is that these guys had built an empire, but they just honestly did not like what they built or who they became. Uh, there was one fellow that I uh, came across that, no kidding, uh, I believe he is on marriage number eight. Wow, that's a record, right? And so uh, it's very interesting how we do important? how we define success from the outside versus intrinsically yeah. what you need as a human to be quote unquote successful is very different. <laughs> yeah, and but one lesson for him, I think, you know, honestly, mm. if if you're having that much trouble with relationships, slow down and don't marry every girl that you run into. Right? Uh, there might be some other layers there. <laughs> if, if, if you and I aren't going to put on our psychologist hat, but I think there might be other things going on there. <laughs> Something to think about, anyways. But yeah. but you're right; it's easy to look from the outside and go, "Oh, successful," because the Lambo on 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 Instagram. But there are other yeah. layers. And and by like, the way, here, here define what it means. Funny, to Right. Talking about exotic cars, and by the way, my city, Calgary, um, you know, I think exotic cars is a, is a really weird thing because the last year before I sold my, my Ferrari that I just had, I drove it six times. 
because of our lovely weather here. That summer I drove it six times. And then the other thing that's kind of interesting too is, um, I, I don't mind confessing this, most of the time now I'm driving a Dodge Caravan with a bunch of kids in the back. So <laughs> it, what's your definition of success? Because the reality is, is a Ferrari doesn't have room for more than one person and it certainly doesn't work well for baby seats. So, you know, you got to decide kind of what's valuable to you. Now, I'm, I'm not saying don't go get a Ferrari because I do love them. And I also, you know, love riding my Ducati motorcycle. Um, but the reality is, is there's also a time and place for that in my life. And uh, it's not something that, you know, you've got to determine your lifestyle as well and how that will work and, and how, you, how you decide what success looks for you. And personally, I think that, quite frankly, um, I don't know, for me, again, I'm not making a judgment for anybody else, but for me, family is an important part of finding that balance, right? So it's not just about the money. And by the way, you've heard that you can't have your cake and eat it. I think you can have both, but you just got to remember that you got to bake the cake before you can eat it. So there's going to be effort and work and sacrifice at the beginning. And if you do things right, well, eventually, yes, you can have both. But it's kind of like, you know, even if we look the, at the idea of, say, passive income, what most people don't understand is all income streams always start active. You got to do work and yes, building and the, at the beginning. The illu- the illusion and, and that shifts it. That, yeah, it's not free money at the outset. You've got to build this. And, and these are these systems that I'm talking about, right? So when you obviously you focus on on coaches because obviously mm. they you know for so many reasons but coaches can have you I can just see you know that's exponential impact for every one coach yeah. you take through your program they can touch and influence how many different different entrepreneurs out there I'm assuming listening to you talk that from a curriculum standpoint there's a lot of this that is the psychology like it's not just here's how to be successful and how to build a business and how to delegate and build a plan what I'm hearing a lot or certainly in what you're saying is it's helping people really understand like what are all the nuances of this choice that they've made and to really understand I'm, am I assuming that correctly as I well, listen to you talk? It's I, yeah, feels I, as philosophical I, as it is sure, practical, or maybe sure. that's a blurry line. Well, I, th- I think you got to have a blend of a bo- uh, both. I kind of actually, when we're working with our coaches, I kind of look at it as three three legs on a stool. So obviously, you've got the, the the mindset and the attitude and all of these things. And the the reality is, is um, one of my favorite interviews that I did with was with Howard Putnam. Howard was the former uh, VP of Customer Service for all of United Airlines and the CEO of Southwest Airlines. And um, something that he said is we hire for attitudes, we train for, um, you know, skill sets. And I think that the, the reality is, is even if I give you, uh, how should we say, for any success, there's two components that are required, a correct strategy, but also what I call the willingness factor. If I give you the correct strategy and you choose not to do anything with it or, you know, I give you the, even if I give you a suitcase full of a million dollars and you just didn't have the right mindset around money, it's gone tomorrow, right? It just doesn't make any value. So that idea of the willingness factor, the mindset, the mentality, et cetera, that's super important. And the reality is, is no one can really kind of give that to you. You've got to make that as a decision yourself. Uh, even if we tell you, rah, rah, get motivated, go get excited. Well, that lasts for a little while, but until you internalize it and make that decision yourself, it's, it's kind of useless. So that's pillar number one. Pillar number two is, again, that correct strategies. And that's where I've got the faculty from all of these top business owners who can show you how to scale to multi-million or billion dollar level or whatever you want to do, taking your company international, um, selling it eventually or whatever, whatever path you choose to take. So in the curriculum that we teach, we actually show everything from evaluating the idea all the way up to building teams around it, to finding funding for it, to correctly launching it, to marketing in the place. Like we've got, we've got the marketing director from Uber. Uh, with us as part of our faculty. So, you know, a lot of these people that really understand marketing in today's current marketplace. And then obviously there's the exit strategies too, right? Scaling and then to exit. Maybe you want to sell, maybe not. But, you know, one of my mentors always said it this way in terms of your business. He, he just said, remember, you're not married to anything. Everything's for sale. 
And so if somebody came around with the right amount of money, of course you want to sell your business, right? So that's one aspect. And then the third pillar is really for our coaches is how do you now teach this stuff and build a good coaching business around it so that you can thrive and survive. And we've got a lot of really interesting income models for our coaches that is not the typical, let's sit down for an hour and do some coaching. Um, the reality <laughs> is the, the old fashioned time for that's money. That's the old model. school. Yeah. Cause, cause that's not really what people need now for coaching. They don't need to sit with you for an hour to figure it out. And I'll be honest with you, sometimes uh, sitting down for an hour is a waste of time for people because life is moving so fast. So how do you build coaching in a sense that works for today's marketplace and for those entrepreneurs? So we go through a lot of that as well. I appreciate the format and the structure and the, the levels and all the different mm-hmm. tiers of the, on, on the game, to, on the road to entrepreneurship or uh, on the road. When you think about Calgary, and obviously you've, you've said that you kind of teach this all over the world and you work with people all over the world. What are you seeing? Like, let's talk about our backyard here. Calgary's been through kind of five, six years. A lot of people may be being forced into or exited from large organizations that with a package and they've now reinvested that into some type of an adventure. Well, especially with oil. Yeah. Yeah. What's going on sure. with the, oil the resource sector, sure. especially. So curious, what are you seeing in terms of trends, your thoughts, optimism, maybe just on your own point of view? Because obviously we're, Calgary's looking in this whole podcast about economic transformation and all the different yeah. things that are coming to the table to help that happen. So curious what you're seeing here happening at home versus trends or how does it compare to what's happening in the rest of the world considering well, I, the last 14, 15 months? <laughs> first of all, I'm totally biased because I was born and raised in Calgary. <laughs> I went to junior high and high school and all these schools. Like, hey, I graduated from Dr. E.P. Scarlet. Go Lancers. Um, but here's, here's the thing is that even though I'm biased to Calgary, I don't think I could have been positioned in a better, better city in the entire world. Because we've just got so many really cool resources that are here, so many incredible people that could support entrepreneurship and the growth. Um, you know, there's money here that people are ready to invest. There's the, you know, uh, everything, all the structure, legal, everything, even IT. There's lots of great people in our city that are ready to support. And so I, I think, honestly, if I'm looking across the different places that I've been around the world, um, Calgarians have it. Uh, how should we say we've got an advantage because of who we are and where we are. And and just to kind of give this a context, like, I mean, the thing that's interesting is prior, prior to pandemic, I do speak around the world. And the year prior to pandemic, funny enough, I know this is going to sound crazy that I'm from Calgary. This is now going to sound like I'm never in Calgary. But I was uh, like last year I was I did an event called Freedom Summit Asia. I was in the Philippines. I was in Singapore, Bali, Kuala Lumpur, Thailand. I did uh, events in South Africa. I did events in London, UK. I did events all throughout the United States from literally coast to coast. I've done events and like you name it. I've been all over the world. And the thing that's kind of really interesting to me is in some of those locations, they don't have everything we have, right? They have to outsource it. They got to look for people that can take care of some of the things that they just don't have access to. Even and, like, like you said, finances, IT infrastructure, human resources, like just kind of the fundamentals of business. Is that what you're saying when they don't have it, don't have I, those resources? I think um, – let me maybe start at the beginning. Yes, all those fundamentals, but let me give you maybe even the first one As I think here we have a spirit of entrepreneurship. Okay. In other words, we believe even in our ideas. So if I were to say, for example, call up uh, – you know, let's say, just say a lawyer or a friend of mine downtown and say, listen, you know, I'd like to go for lunch. I'm looking at a business idea. I will share the business idea. Not only will he help me build the paperwork, but he knows people that would be interested to support that idea, and he'll make introductions, and, and he's giving with his contacts, and he'll set up times and meetings with people. And, like, I don't see that happening in other cities. Okay. I see, Excellent. like, Calgary's just got kind of a connective energy that we, how do we say, it's the biggest small town that you've ever been to, 
where everybody knows each other. I may have, said, uh, I may, I may have said that on one of my, my social media manager actually told me to stop saying that because I literally say it on every episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So thank, it's, thank you, Doug. I, I, I second, I second that comment. Sir. It's true. And, and I can't tell you how many business meetings I've been in Calgary where <laughs> as soon as I've said it, the very next thing the person says is, do you know who you should talk to? Like, that's almost yes. always the comment. I but actually I, believe it's one of our superpowers. And I've said that a few I think times. It so is. Like, ah, oh, you know, we go to other cities, people are pretty helpful. I'm like, I grew up out east and, Inside your circle, it was like that, but the second you went beyond yeah. that, it kind of fell off pretty quick. But in Calgary, everybody's one degree outside your circle, so it's, it's not, not that big of a even how you and I met. And if we spend more than five minutes on talking about it after, we'll identify six other people that we we both already know. It's but crazy. the willingness to help here and the willingness to kind of get excited about another person's opportunity and their success—that's something it's we crazy. have here in in a, in a flavor that I just haven't encountered in other places. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting, and you know, it's also maybe I don't know. Even if we stretch it to a broader kind of context. I find that just Canadians in general have a different way of looking at things. So if you look at the, the coolness that's – I don't know. People are going to send me some hate mail because I'm saying we're the best. But look at the coolness that's, that's of Canada. Okay, no, that means they're listening. Right? That means they're paying attention. There you go. <laughs> the, the coolness of Canada and Canadians uh, is multiplied in Calgary. Right. If I, if I share it that way, hey, this it, is a pro Calgary show. So you're not going off track here at all. We're on script hundred <laughs> percent. And, and, and you know what? I, I don't mind sharing something here just a little bit funny as a side note, but when I've been in different parts of the world and I've shared the stage with others and I don't know, again, I don't want to have any of my American friends get mad at me, but, um, I have people come up to me all the time and say, you know what? We love you because you're Canadian. You don't come with this kind of American sort of, I am the world kind of, Feel, yeah, no, it's, right? it's, it's, so it's a thing. It's a thing. It's a thing. And so uh, <laughs> even then with Calgary, and I'm not saying anything against other cities in Canada or, uh, you know, again, but sometimes, uh, how do I say this? Sometimes I've had people uh, right away, they'll say to me, so where in Canada are you from? Toronto? And I'll go, no. And they'll go, oh, <laughs> <laughs> right, <laughs> like I've had that. I don't know all those so, little, all those little nuggets, all those little stereotypes. They right? exist for a reason. It's all, yeah, no, I, right. I, I, I get but, it. But I have to admit, I have had people who, as soon as I said I'm from Calgary and they know I'm Calgary, they ask if I'm in the rodeo and they ask if I ride a horse or these kind of things. And, where, where, and your, where, where your hat is? Yeah, no, yeah, no. There's, I, there's stereotypes on all fronts. I got that's it. That's right. I mean. I, I do ride a horse, but it's not like where what I used to get to work, right? So it's a little yeah. different. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's 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 uh, it's uh, there's a difference between a hobby, a hobby and 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 this is what That's I do for right. a living. Yeah. That's right. No, and I think every, everywhere has got that got that story. And you, to hear so when you think about entrepreneurship and you think about what's happening in Calgary, I'm, I'm curious. Maybe I'm, mm. I'm stepping. I may be asking outside, but. In terms of programs, government involvement, like there's a lot of things going on here that are really positive, and sometimes people don't know about them. So when it comes to the the ecosystem that's here to support it, whether it's you know governments removing friction or universities having you know incubator programs or innovate like Calgary, there's so many different programs. Any on your radar that really stand out for you? Because this is also about drawing attention to maybe things people haven't heard about as well. Yeah, well, I mean, there's some that are classics that I think really need to be recognized. One that I think is really quite good, and, and one of my friends is involved in leadership with that is that's junior achievement start them young okay right? nice. so um, definitely in schools i think junior achievement is something that, that a lot of big business leaders uh support and because of that a lot of big business leaders have come out of and yeah. so i think that that's really an important funny how thing. that works right <laughs> hey friends help yeah. friends yeah. right uh what do they say there's always a, a scholarship with the word alumni attached to it and so um i think that that's important the other thing that we're doing as an organization with certified entrepreneur coaches we are firm believers in giving back to the community so we have uh, something now called the uh, Youth Entrepreneur Scholarship, where we're also giving money. Um, also, I'm involved with a magazine uh, called Entrepreneur Success Magazine that's got a, a list of 20 under 20. 
So we celebrate, um, you know, entrepreneurs that are growing at those age. And I think that this is something that, quite frankly, um, like you and I were talking about before the show, uh, when we were kids, nobody's really talking about entrepreneurship. Entrepreneurship for kids was go start a lemonade stand and good luck. But, you know, I, I mean, <laughs> I was I was doing big deals trading hockey cards and comics and action figures as a kid, and that's kind of what led me into this. My first businesses started when I was in high school. Like I started a t-shirt company I, I do mixed martial arts competitively and all that stuff so that was kind of my background in the business you know doing these things so i'm a firm believer that that's a great place to start but there's a lot like i, I notice even some of the um you know the banks have you know small business programs that are available not only for loans but grants there's uh you know a lot of the universities are offering that now and a lot of the other continuing education programs are now starting to add entrepreneur type um programs to what they're doing uh, so I, I think there's a lot that's out there. Um, you know, I mean, I'm, how should I say, uh, may, maybe I'm being a bit non-biased here, but I think ours is quite frankly the best. And, and not just for the, the fact that, you know, we can help with the funding, but because I've actually gone out and found faculty members that can be part of this and help. Whereas in, if I look at a lot of the entrepreneur programs, sometimes you have, you know, local business leaders that are he- going to help, and that's fine. Not all of them have really created massive success they've you know locally built something pretty good which is great mm-hmm. but i think we really need to recognize beyond our own community um yes we said rah rah, rah calgary two minutes ago but i also don't want you to stay here i want you to you know do business to an extent where you're going to be now doing business with people around the world because that's what entrepreneurship is right like, like if i even look at my clients my personal clients that are coming in and coaching um it's funny because maybe this isn't the best example, but yesterday we had a guy join us from Regina. Okay, so he just signed up. But this morning I had people from the UK, one from New Zealand. I had a young man from Singapore join us. Uh, we do w- weekly trainings, and I've got people from Norway and Finland and you know, uh, you name it, any place on the planet, really, Japan and everywhere else joining us. So although we originate from here, I think one of the big things about these programs is do they have that connection to the market? Because we really aren't, how should we say now, um, doing business as a, as a country anymore, right? And anybody who thinks that we're now really kind of still trying to play in these boundaries, you're looking at it in an old-fashioned way. The whole world is, is connected. Uh, I mean, even if you look at your phone, right, we've got customers in every part of the world right now that this little device can create. So if you're looking just, okay, what can help me locally? Well, you're going to really bump into some, some blocks really soon. And so whenever I'm looking at a program, you know, whether it's an incubator or uh, any, anything, you know, people even bring on board of directors for companies that we're coaching or things of that nature, I really want to see that their network extends beyond just the immediate and that they also have the vision that there really isn't any limit to where you do business anymore. And I think especially during the pandemic, if, if, if your business is now confined to just online and you're local, uh, I think you're really going to run into some problems really quick uh, because you're going to burn through that local community to support you in a hurry. You heard that idea of a thousand true fans, right? Yes. Well, that's, that's true. I believe that you can really do quite good business with a thousand true fans. But if you're only looking at the thousand, you're hitting a limitation. What you've got to be looking at is who does that thousand know, right? It's kind of like um, you know one of the mentors I was working with, he said that if you're going to a networking event to find customers, you're doing it wrong. So if you're going to a networking event to find who has your customers, now you're doing it right. I like that. Who has your customers? That's a really nice. That's a really nice right. another layer to just go. Ah, oh, that just it changes your thinking almost immediately when you pose it that yeah. way. Yeah. <laughs> In fact, one of my mentors said it this way, and I, I, I'm not trying to be smug, and I'm not trying to disrespect anybody's networking events that they're running. But he said to me this, and this stuck with me. He says, "You'll never do a million dollar deal at a ten dollar breakfast." 
And the reason why, yeah, but, but in all seriousness, if you look at these $10 breakfasts, that's the old school mentality for networking. I'm looking for local customers. I'm looking for who can refer me to their friends. And that's great, but you're going to soon hit critical mass. And I'm also not a big fan of these networking events that say only one realtor, only one accountant, only one. Well, they're missing that the new economy is, is collaboration. Competition is dead. Competition doesn't even exist anymore if you're doing business right. In fact, I always like to take the word compete, like C-O-M-P-E-T-E, and I change it to the word complete. Because the reality is if you, if you understand you're not really competing anymore, you're completing. You're looking for where your competitors are maybe missing something, either before the sale, during the sale, or after the sale. If you can start structuring your life and business that way, these guys are no longer competition. They're collaborators, and you're going to be able to use them. Uh, they're already influences, influencers in your space, or they're authorities there. They've got the customers. To not right, be so, seen as a competitor or not see right. other people as your enemy changes the whole way you approach things totally. psychologically. And, and also your, your, your finances here. Because if I'm budgeting now that I have to have X amount of dollars to be able to market, and I have to go exactly where my competitors is, no. That's big. I'd rather give my competitors a check for $100,000 instead of spend it on Facebook ads over the year and just get them to sell my stuff, right? Because they've also attracted and, and, and got people already that are, are proven buyers, right? They're definitely proven buyers. So I think just the dynamic of how people uh, traditionally look at things being so localized and also I should mention the incubators, many of them are localized. They're not looking broad enough to really build and scale a business in the easiest way. I think sometimes it conflicts with the mandate, whether it's a government or municipally funded, and they're all, but how do we create jobs in this area, or how do we do, and it gets too localized. I love when I have guests well, well, on the there, show. There's and a I lot said, of stuff. Let's bend on the government for a while, okay? Now we're going to get some hate. Oh, yeah, well, real, yeah okay? okay, let's really roll up your sleeves. Yeah, okay? So here's something that I think is an absolute mental mess up. Is this even this idea of minimum wage, that the government can come in and legislate minimum wage? Well, do you know what happened? Not only did McDonald's bring in those robots and Safeway gets you to check out your own groceries now because of minimum wage, but the reality is is companies like me aren't going to hire people here locally either. I'll go to the Philippines where I can get a VA to do exactly the same work or sometimes better and for a fraction of the cost. And so the government should really pull themselves out of these business relationships, right? And they should let the marketplace determine that. Because if I've got a local guy who's willing to be competitive to the Filipino guy and he can do just as good job, I'd prefer to hire here. I really would. Yeah, but the yeah. reality is, is the government has made it so, quite frankly, I can do much better dollars by hiring outside of my own countries. So what that whole minimum wage thing has done is it's really created a rise, in my opinion, of, of me going elsewhere, me outsourcing to new locations. So I think that there's there's a lot of thinking that has not been well done at those at those levels in the government. Not a lot. Yeah, of the challenge is that's tough. To, it's tough to unwind that because there's yeah. promises built on it, there's campaigns built on it, there's elections. Well, that's what it on, is. It's campaigns. On things like yes, it's campaigns. And, and, and the reality is too. Talk about short term, short term thinking. Let, let's be honest. If we go to these poor brick and mortar people who must hire locally, they must. Right. So if you're running a Dairy Queen or a McDonald's or a fast food thing, whatever, it used to be that that's a great job for a teenager when he's starting out. And you can pay him to get going and blah, blah, blah. But now just even the cost to hire somebody that I'm not criticizing teenagers. Maybe I'm pointing at me. I was an incompetent teenager. OK. <laughs> and I, I worked for Canada Slaveway for a while. I mean, Safeway for a while. And the reality is, is when I was there begging groceries and stuff. Um, yeah, I was not the most skilled kid on the block. And to pay me like a minimum wage of X amount, um, that's actually in some ways it would be kind of unfair to the employer because I, I'm not a skilled laborer and I'm not even interested to become a skilled laborer. Right. I'm right. Yes. I, I don't even want to be here in the moment. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm counting the minutes and when it's my break, I'm going to sit in the coffee room, whatever, until I absolutely have to get out. Right. 
it just I don't know. But anyways, that's a whole other can of worms. Oh, but, that is uh, that is a can of worms when you start to unpack like the broken oh model. And you, I think this is where we're going to get the hate mail. It's not from what you said before. I think probably when, not. But maybe you your American what, friends might call you up. That's and and by say, the but. way, don't ever ask me to run for office because I think it's a stupid idea. No matter uh, who wins, the government gets in. I think that's how we. Yeah. Start, no, right? and I think oh, that's the argument these days. Who who of any quality that you would want in there is actually going to willing to subject themselves to that Ooh. environment? <laughs> you hear that kind of talked about? On yeah. Sunday. You just. I'd love to stand in front of a firing squad. That sounds super fun. Right? Just, no thanks. Carefully selected of your peers. Yeah, um, exactly. So, Doug, I'm, I'm listening to the show. I'm kind of like, you know what, entrepreneur, small business owner, solopreneur, I'm thinking about these things. What are some of the first, like, before someone even reaches out to you, or they're just, just to, to help kind of, you know, we'll throw a little gasoline on the fire here. Sure. Thoughts, initial frameworks. How should, how should, or how would you give people context to start thinking about this journey that they're maybe, they're either just started on it or they're getting started? Well, I guess the first thing, and maybe I'm going to be brutally honest here, is not every idea is a good idea. So if you've got an idea to start a business and you're like, I, I got it, this is a million dollar idea. Well, you know, not necessarily true. In fact, um, you know, I'm going to see if I got a piece of paper here to draw you a, a, an interesting little diagram. So um, one of the things that I, I've found kind of interesting is over the years, you see a lot of these gurus that teach people that if they want to start a business and they want to be successful, focus on your passion and purpose. You've seen that, you know, your passion and oh, of purpose. Course. Oh, yes. and, and the reality is, is Warren Buffett said this, and I love this. He said, what you love about you is your hobby. What others love about you is your business. And so if you're just like selfishly saying, I got this passion and purpose and this great idea, I'm going to start a business and therefore it's going to be successful. The reality is, is like, let's say your passion, your passion, and your purpose is to, you know, I want to start a company that teaches people how to color coordinate their Beanie Baby collection. You know what? Nobody gives a crap about your Beanie Baby collection. So that's never, ever going to be a viable <laughs> business. So what you've got to do is you've got to find not just your passion and purpose, but I'm going to suggest where it overlaps the passion and purpose of others, that this area here is what you need to discover. So what are you doing that's, that's actually valuable in the marketplace? If you've got an idea, does it actually have some kind of you know, value to others? Here, Doug, I'm going to get you to hold that up again because I'm yeah. going to say that, that's, oh, that's, yeah, let's internet. Do it. That, yeah, that's, that's worthy. So we're going to get that going on. Boom. All right. Snap that. Save, save cool, that. cool. Prosperity. Yeah, thank but, you. But, but here, here's the thing, too, is that sweet spot in the middle, it isn't just about making money either. Because the reality is, is if you know anything about being an entrepreneur, you know there's days that are totally awesome, but then there's the next day where you need to come up with your paycheck and it's just not coming. No one's paying there's, you. There's always an awesome hangover. Yeah, there's always a hangover for yeah it, it's, it's like this, right? And so the thing that I think is kind of cool about this, you've also heard the saying that if they get your vibe, they become your tribe. Well, the reality is you don't just make money here. You also get a sense of validation. So when you're serving people that actually are getting it, that are dialed into that, uh, of who you are and they get it, that suddenly now, you know, even when you're not having the best day, you can find the ability to survive. You can find that idea that, that what I'm doing has purpose. And I think that that's something really important as well. The next thing that I kind of look at when I'm, you know, looking at ideas, and to tell you the truth, I've got an ebook. If anybody wants it, we'll just give it to you for free, where I've outlined seven things you need to really look at when looking at an, an opportunity. But I think one of the big things is we've heard of ROI, return on investment. I'm going to say return on effort is even more important. So, yes, you could spend all kinds of time developing this idea. You could build the structures around it. You could build the company around it. But at the end of the day, what happens if there's very little money in it? Right? There's nobody really interested. And, and part of that knowing how to work that idea is who are your competitors in the marketplace? Now, it's funny. When I'm at a live event, I'll ask this question of all the audience. I'll say, who are your competitors? And every once in a while, I'll have some silly know-it-all in the audience raise their hand and say, I don't have any competitors. Well, to me, that tells me two stupid things about you. Right? The first thing it says is, number one, either you don't know your marketplace – 
which in which case, if you don't, it's, it's like entering a room and you don't know what the conversation is. And there you are saying you're the smartest guy in the room. You don't even know the conversation. So if you don't know who your competitors are, you're an idiot. But the second one is even worse. What happens if it's true that you don't have any competitors? Let's say you have something so stupid and so far out there as an idea that no one wants to compete. Well, that might be a clue that no one's ready to buy this either. Right. So you've got to ask that question, you know, who who is out there that could be a viable marketplace and could this thing be scaled beyond just you and a couple close family friends? In fact, I know a guy, um, you know, that started an ice cream shop and um, quite frankly, for the first month or two went pretty good. But he noticed that the majority of the customers were family, friends, people from his church and community groups that he was dialed into. But as soon as he burned through those people, wah, 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 right. And um, you just you can't you can't keep a business just by your family and friends, right? And so you've got to just understand that. But but anyways, with with this idea of these other things with your opportunity, maybe what I'll do is I'll just tell you guys where you can find that ebook. Just go to yeah, our throw website. Yeah, We'll promote it. For sure. cert, CertifiedEntrepreneurCoach.com, and it's free. It doesn't cost you anything. But what I've done with that, just to kind of share, is as I interview those 400 of the world's top achievers, I made a note of how they uh, analyzed opportunities. How do you look at something? Is this a business for me to get into? And by the way, I think this is extremely valuable for the pandemic right now because, you know, if you're thinking of starting a business, you might be down to your savings, your very last amount of money that you've got, and you've got to roll the dice and hopefully come up with an idea that's going to work well in today's marketplace. You can't, you can't risk a second try at this, right? Um, you know, you might be gone. So how do you now find you know, the best opportunity? So we've got seven ways really to kind of measure this, and some of them include – you know, like I said, not only that uh, ability of scaling it this way, but also for the time frame, right? If we look at historically different businesses, things like um, you know, that are very trendworthy, like say, for example, a fidget spinner. Well, you might have been able to sell a ton of them, but you only had like 18 months to do it, and nobody yes. buys fidget spinners now. So we got to look at again, even that length of the market. How long will it be? And and by the way, a lot of guys say tech is a great thing to do, but tech has a very short window. So if you take too long to get to market or develop or to sell that company to someone else who's going to expand it to yeah, the, the 2.0 version or whatever, it's you missed it, right? So we've got to be really careful about sort of not putting all of our poker chips on one hand. And we've also got to recognize what does a good hand look like if we're going to put any chips on the table. And um, the other thing that I think is kind of interesting about this whole idea with opportunities, going back to that idea with team, the thing that's neat is – when you have a good opportunity, if you take the time to just think it and create a really good opportunity, um, finding the money and the team and, and customers and everything else actually comes a lot easier than what you think, right? That's what you're saying. But, but, but most people rush for the cash, right? They say, how do I get this to market as quick as I can so I can make a quick buck, blah, 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 blah. Well, the reality is we've also heard the idea that you only get one chance to make a first impression. So if you come out and you – pardon the expression, but you know, yeah – out a piece of garbage crap right on the you know where everybody sees it chances are very good the next time you come with something a little bit better that maybe would have been the thing to approach with a lot of people aren't ready to listen unfortunately to people have good memories for those they have good memories right in fact one of the mentors that i interviewed he said something really interesting he says um one of the best ways to actually consistently make money or have investors and people that will help you is just make sure everybody's you know taken care of making money that you've got something yeah. good right quality rides to the top yeah, no, it does. there's lots of layers and lots of, but fundamentally it still boils down to a fairly simple kind of value exchange, right? <laughs> exactly. Keep people whole and give them something that they find value in and then do that consistently. 
Oh, Doug, I feel I love your energy, man. I feel like I'm, I'm going to go and uh, I don't know, like do do something exciting now. I know I'm super jazzed up, man. I really enjoyed chatting with you. Uh, I'm going to do so. CertifiedEntrepreneurCoach.com. Check out the ebook. Seven seven kind of key criteria. What? Any other ways to get a hold of you, or is is that the yeah, best, is that well, the way? That's that's probably the best way. But we do a lot of stuff on social media. Uh, in fact, okay, we've got awesome. a lot of free advice and free tools and free opportunities. In fact, it's funny. I do a training every Tuesday and Wednesday through Zoom. On this Wednesday, I've actually got Danielle. Cullen, who's the, um, the the finance global finance director for the Mars Corporation, uh, which is like Mars Bar, Milky Way, Skittles, uh, all these kind of things. She's the best. All, all of the ones you know. Yeah, that, that <laughs> all you the greatest hits. Be eating, but you know what? She's, well, whatever. She's, well, who's, we're no judging. We're not yeah, judging here. Doug. And, and she's the best person to sit next to at a live event because she always has samples in her purse, right? Then the, the other thing that she's in charge of is the Kind Bar, like you know those new bars, the healthy ones, the Kind ones. Yep. And so, um, you know, I do trainings all the time with those people. Some of them wind up on YouTube. Some of them, you got to be in the Zoom. I think on YouTube, there's a couple with me with Brian Smith, founder of Ugg Boots, and uh, a few of these other people. So those are all free. You can find those. Just go to YouTube, type in my name. Uh, on Facebook, I know that we've got a handful of groups. For example, there's the business coaching community that we have. There's the certified entrepreneur coach group that's on there. Um, but there's a lot of free resources that we have. So, you know, obviously it's a great way for you to just kind of come do a Costco drive-by, sample us a little bit, see if it's your <laughs> right. thing, right? And, um, and if you resonate with what we're doing, we're very excited to, you know, connect with you to see how we can help you with the next level. And, and I guess this is the other thing, too, that I think a lot of people miss out when it comes to business. We've already talked about business and wealth and success are all results of a team. But the other thing is, is you've heard that you become like the five people you surround yourself with. If you hang out with four losers, you get to become the fifth, right? It's that easy. <laughs> but if you hang out with, you know, five people that are really doing great things, you will rise. Like you'll have that as a support group. And I always want to say that it's not that your network becomes your net worth. It's that, first of all, your network becomes your safety net. It increases the level of the questions you can answer, the support that you have, the access to resources and all of these things. And so, you know, all I'm going to say is if you get our vibe, if you like any of the stuff I've been talking about, join our tribe, get involved. Uh, even in Calgary here, I've had, um, for example, uh, one of the founders of FedEx coming in here lecture, lecturing before. I've had Brian Smith, who I just mentioned from Boots here in Calgary before. I've had... You know, a, a lot of these top guys, I bring them to town and we do like live events, masterminds, master classes where if you're an entrepreneur and you're just really looking to up your game, we're it. And um, once the pandemic goes away and it sounds like, you know, we're heading that direction. Slow, maybe, slowly, surely, I think we're on the right path. Right. Yes, so we'll see what happens. So, so we're going to start planning those again. And we'd love to have you. And, you know, we're also part of the Global Entrepreneurs Association. And I know they're looking at doing events. So just come be part of it. Yes, all that stuff will come back around. But. Doug, I Finally. really appreciate your passion. I appreciate what you're doing. I love this trend in entrepreneurship, but treating it respectfully and really helping people to understand what it is and what it isn't, I think is what I'm certainly hearing for the under, undertone. And we're, we're in a world where we're taking charge of our own destinies. And I think that's a great, that, that's, that's only, that's only a good thing if you've got the support to pull it off. Well, I, I think that's it. And I, I really appreciate you mentioning that because again, I want to point out that I think the biggest challenge and tragedy for most entrepreneurs is that they are finding coaches or people calling themselves coaches that can't support them. I mean, they're good intentions, right? Like the road to hell is paved with good intentions, but the reality (laughs) is is good intentions is not going to pay your bills. You need someone who can help you, and if you're serious about building a business, don't waste your time um, trying to figure it out on your own, or or don't waste your time with people who don't know what they're doing. Fundamentally, mitigate your risk. Bring the right people to help mitigate your risk. Like you said, for a lot of people, this is a a bit of a dice roll, so try to make it not that, I think is the biggest thing. If it feels like a gamble, it's probably because you don't have enough information. Fair enough. Fair enough. Absolutely.
Doug, thank you so much for coming on the show. I wish you all the best, and uh, I'm going to go do a little creeping and check out some of your programs, and you're going to see me on some of your Zoom calls here in your future. Well, let's have you out at one of the live events. Maybe we can get you doing a broadcast from there or something. I would, cool. I, I would love it. That's, the, that's, my, that's, that's my secret hobby of getting to chat with really interesting people. Start a podcast. It's great. You get to meet the coolest people. Nice. <laughs> and Calgary is chock, is chock full of them, so happy to add you on the list of being on the show, and it's uh, been a great chat with you, my friend. I appreciate you having me. Thanks.